Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, your host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but I am still your host. Today with me is our guest. I'm flying solo as a panelist is Cody Bontecue. How are you doing, Cody? Hey, Steve. Yeah, I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Right. And then also with me, uh, you probably won't hear them much. We do have the uh, studio audience. So how are you doing, everybody? Thank you, thank you. They'll clap and cheer once in a while, but they say pretty silent for the most part. So uh, to start out, Cody, why don't you give us your background, tell us who you are, why you're famous, or you'll be famous after this episode if you're not famous already, but what you do and how you use Vue. Yeah, thanks. Started using Vue about three years ago, just personal projects, entrepreneurial endeavors, trying to build that unicorn app, but actually fell in love with it. And I actively write it every day, whether I'm working or just for personal projects. Currently a senior full stack engineer for a depth agency based out of Amsterdam. Uh, and I, I work remotely, currently residing in Hawaii, just chasing surf and uh, sunshine. I feel your pain. I feel your pain, really, I do. Thank you. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So do you primarily work in view two right now? Have you dealt much into view three? I was sort of curious to see where people are with that. Yeah, personally, I, I enjoy writing Vue 3 as well as I, I've been playing with Nux 3 as well. Um, but we're currently, we're using Vue 2. Uh, in this particular project, we're using Vue class components. I, I believe the team migrated from Angular and just like the decorator system is similar to Angular. So we're, we're stuck right in that right now. But bit, m big fan of Vue 3. Yeah, I've, I've played with it a little bit, uh, a little bit with Nux 3. So yeah, it's pretty cool what you can do with it, especially in Nux. Some of the cool things that Nux does with Nitro really limit the amount of code you have to write. I'm actually, I won't spill the beans too much. I'm actually doing a video course right now on Nux 3 and and uh, worked with Daniel Rowe, who's one of the Nux core team. And some of the stuff you can do with Vue 3 and Nux 3 is really slick. It'll be really neat. Yeah. So the reason we had Cody on today was his blog post he wrote on his site about converting a React.js component to Vue. And so we thought we'd talk through that and what was involved and and versions and so on. And what's interesting, if you look at, we'll put the link in the show notes to the uh, to the blog post. But it's if you look at it, you'll recognize that it's ViewPress with some CSS tweaks. So sort of a to me, it seemed like a pretty smart way to do a blog post because you've already got your table of contents built for you for you. You don't really have to do too much. 
there and get something up and up and going. So what uh, what was it that inspired you to do this? Because I think you, you mentioned to me ahead of time that you're not really, you haven't really been much of a React developer. So what was the inspiration for doing this? Yeah, so the component that I changed from or converted from React to Vue is a, a timeline component. So there, there's this guy, Florin Pop. He's big on YouTube and Twitter. And uh, he has this timeline component that just showcases all of his kind of like milestones, you know, first 10,000 subscribers, first 100,000 subscribers. And I just thought that was kind of cool. I thought that was neat, something I would want in my personal site and still meaning to put it on my own blog. And so I, I just started to convert it myself to have it on my own blog. And I realized this actually might just be worth writing a blog post about. And just like comparing the differences between a React component to a Vue component. Yeah, I've heard that name before. I think you could say he's really quite the pop star, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure he's never heard that joke either. So it's a timeline component. Okay, so so you did you do you did this in looking at your blog post, you're using Vite, correct? Yeah, I think I used Vite for just like Let's see. I, I use V just as like the CLI, but I, I chose Vue as my framework. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I believe this was written in Vue 2. Yeah, this is, this is, I believe this was in Vue 2. So you have right. to, now, so to do Vue 2 with V, isn't there like a bridge library or something that you have to do? Because out of the box, V is designed for Vue 3. Is that right? You know, I'm not entirely sure. It just kind of handled it for me. Yeah. To get that good stuff, some CLI magic. But I, I would be surprised if it was only use, usable for Vue 3. In fact, I believe you can use Vue for React and all sorts of other areas of the JavaScript ecosystem. Yeah, for sure you can. I just thought I remembered having to have some sort of like, like Next Bridge has that, that library. I thought it was something along those lines, but I could be wrong. I'll have to look at it later. Anyway, so you got everything scaffolded using Vue, which is so crazy fast. It's amazing. Yep. And where'd you start from there? Yeah, so there I just started just kind of piecing together this component that Florin had. I, I believe he had like a stack blitz or code pen, one of those, you know, web editors. And I, I was able to just kind of pull it apart. And yeah, it was pretty straightforward. You know, you have each uh, timeline item that you're iterating through within your timeline itself. Um, I mean, it's essentially just a list of items. So I, I felt like it was a pretty simple component example and just kind of showcasing the difference of like v4 and Vue versus the, the javascript.map that react relies on and I, I believe there's some conditional logic in there as well just to differentiate some tag styles and yeah there, there's a based off of the link and the tags you, you have some different colors and yeah it's just in my opinion so much cleaner in Vue that yeah i enjoyed it so you mentioned that you really didn't have any React experience yourself. Right. I mean, you, you know, Angular, I think you mentioned, and then, and, and then Vue, obviously. So how difficult was it reading the React syntax to break it apart into Vue components? Oh, uh, yeah. And, I think to me, the most difficult, difficult part about React is just like the conditional. There, there's just the templates are very cluttered. Just the way like this conditional style logic, you're using JSX class names, like there's this data dot link and and that's that's how they do like an if statement, essentially. So I like it, it's not very hard to pick up React just because it is raw JavaScript. But it, just by comparing the two, the view to the React, I, I think it's it, of course, it's all objective. It's just my personal opinion. But the view is just 
easier to read. It, it's much more like reading a book than a block of code. Yeah, the the, and the single file component structure and syntax is is a pop is a how do you say it's a common attraction to view just how you're able to integrate your know, HTML elements in there without having to render them specifically, you know, yeah. from some sort of render function. Yeah, and and just the way they handle styles, CSS styles, I, I really don't like. Uh, I don't know. I don't like how React handles that. So okay, so I'm looking at your component here, and it looks yeah fairly straightforward. So basically, you're you're getting your data from whatever his data source is. I'm not sure if he's using a, a database or a fixed data store or something like that, but yeah. basically getting it in, passing it in as props, and then rendering it in your template. Right. For this example, I I just used a local JSON file. Mm-hmm. Um, I figured you could just configure that as needed. And I honestly, I imagine he does something similar. In fact, if you go to his website and check his timeline component, it, it hasn't been updated in a while. So there's probably some manual aspect to it. But obviously, you could have be as creative as you want with this. There's definitely APIs with social media platforms that you could, you know, trigger off of X amount of followers or something and, you know, rebuild your site or your component, depending on that. Mm, okay. Anything else from a conversion standpoint that stood out to you in terms of React things that are tricky to convert to Vue, or was it pretty straightforward as you uh, as you've indicated? You actually have a bunch of CSS in here. It looks like so you had to to do all that, which is par for any project, right? Yeah, and that's kind of why I just stuffed it down at the bottom of my article, just because it's I don't know if people actually enjoy reading CSS. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, of course, you could have put that at the bottom of your view component. Um, sure. Scoped. Yeah, exactly. Which is, in my opinion, really nice. Just try to, what's the term? Just just really encapsulate that individual component as needed. But yeah, overall, I think like Vue definitely hides a bit of the JavaScript in syntax that might be easier for a beginner. You know, if beginners learn for loops. They learn if statements. They might not necessarily understand like React's reliance on dot map or other conditional logic or why you're using class name rather than just class. Uh, there, there's a lot of there's a lot more JavaScript involved in React, whereas Vue is much simpler for a non-JavaScript developer to pick up. Yeah, the way I've always understood React and in my brief interactions with it is that this is probably, you know, all analogies fail at one point at some point or another, but it seems like React is just sort of closer to the metal, as in it's using more raw JavaScript to do a lot of things, render functions, etc. Whereas Vue is sort of almost like an additional layer on top of it where it adds some syntactic sugar in addition to being, you know, you got your builder that that basically if you if you've ever looked at what happens behind the scenes with tool and I'm completely brain farting what you'd call it, that compiles your single file components. It basically takes it and splits it apart. I've seen a good blog post on this and that details how this works, but it's basically taking that, reading it and converting it into what React, what you write in React. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's just sort of a, and people can flame me on Twitter if, if I'm totally getting this wrong. But so it adds some syntactic sugar loops, you know, is, is a classic example where within a, for instance, if you have a data set, you know, an array, an object, whatever, in Vue, you just do V4, use the V4 directive on your element, and it will loop through that, and you get your individual item and display it and do whatever you want with it. Whereas in React, it's a little harder because Vue is adding that that capability on top of that, so you don't have to do all the, the lower level stuff. So Yeah, definitely. And 
some people see that as a benefit. Some see it as a negative. Sure. Um, I know about a week or two ago, I wish I had it saved, but there is this image going around of comparing Vue to React and Angular. Angular. There is just hmm. three like comparisons of their of their V of their four logic essentially, and it it kind of got loud. People were definitely talking about it. And I remember what about it? Just the fact that it was they were saying it wrong, or oh no, there was nothing wrong with it. It was just you know people got their pitchforks, and it it, it wasn't a direct comparison of Vue versus these frameworks. It was more just a the the three main frame. It was felt. Sorry, yeah, it was felt, not Angular. Spell, Vue, and React. You know, and so those three communities just start commenting on what they believe is better. The just showing how they're all popular. Everybody has their, you know, everybody enjoys whatever works, right? Like we're we're all just trying to create cool apps. So if you prefer one syntax over the other, that's that's great. For me, I tried React prior to Vue, and I. I, it didn't stick. Whereas the first time I looked at Vue, it, it stuck immediately, and I was instantly able to build the projects, that, the apps that I wanted. And I've I've tried picking up React since, you know, just due to its popularity and job prospects. But I've always felt like like I could build that in Vue really quickly. You know, like why am I bashing my head against React when I could just switch over to Vue and build it and solve these problems immediately? And I, I do think that's that's really the goal we're trying to achieve, regardless of what the syntax looks like. Well, personally, I'm shocked that people on the internet would get into fight about which React, which framework is better. Because that's <laughs> that usually doesn't happen very often. I'm being yeah. very tongue in cheek here, by the way, for those that <laughs> are listening. It reminds me, I was uh, one of the newsletters I get is Tyler from UI Dev. Uh, it's called the Bytes newsletter, and his latest headline is Twitter beefs between framework authors. So. <laughs> Certainly not the first time. Oh, yeah. But it's a pretty consistent discussion. I don't know. I appreciate the project authors like Nuxt. I believe it's Nuxt Nitro. Some part of Nuxt 3, you know, they they built one of their packages in a way that even Next uses it or maybe Vercel. That, that to me was amazing. You know, it's like they're direct competitors, but at the same time, like open source is able to allow Next to utilize parts of Nuxt, and Nuxt was happy about that. So, Oh, yeah. I mean, frameworks are going to borrow things all the time between each other. That's certainly not the first time that's happened. And if it makes it better, then, then you know, I could see people out there saying, oh, no, we can't borrow from them. They're the enemy. We can't use their code. we got to do our own thing. Yeah. yeah. But no, yeah, that, that's for, for sure. You know, the, the thing that I always come to mind is, you know, when Evan, you started Vue, he came out of the Angular community. And what he wanted to do was take the best of what he saw from Angular and then, you know, make his own fixes on it. And I don't I don't think he actually copied code from Angular. I could be wrong. Never really looked into it. But the idea is that he's borrowing stuff from Angular that was good and then just added his own stuff on top of it. And, and that's where we are. So, yeah. So for sure, for sure. So anything else about this process you want to talk about just in terms of the conversion? Is that the only time you've really delved into react and converting something to view yeah this was the only time i've done a like mindfully re-implemented react code into view if i it, it would be kind of cool you know i've played with this idea and i imagine this is kind of what like astro does i haven't looked into it but i believe astro is like a, fr- a javascript framework that can use components from any framework or the most popular frameworks you know so you can use these open source components 
regardless of the framework you're building off of. But it would, you know, that to me is awesome. It'd be cool because I, I love going to like these component sharing sites and just being like, oh, I needed, I need that. I need this tooltip or I need this drop down menu. And you can just kind of put them together like Legos. So, and I know there's so many React components. It'd be nice if I could just throw it into a compiler converter and have it in view code. But no, this this was the first and only time I've done this. Yeah, again, I, I just thought it was kind of neat. I thought I thought it was a fun project. And I'm not against doing it again. It was, it was pretty straightforward. Uh, they're, they're fairly similar. Hey, folks, I'm here with JD from Raygun. You know, JD, we were talking just a second ago about empathy, and it seems like a common concept within the programming community. And yet, when we're building features for customers, a lot of times we call it done when it passes CI, deploys, and doesn't give us errors. And that really doesn't seem very empathetic when it comes to our customers because we're not looking at what they're doing. Do you have thoughts on this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at, at the end of the day, until until your code actually hits the customer, um, you don't really know if it's any good. Uh, you know, everybody uses things in so many different weird and wonderful ways. You can only really debug in production. Um, yeah, I've been there. It's old, done. Yeah. It's not done. Oh, crap. It's not done. <laughs> I got to go fix it. Now it's done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And when we see things like error reports flowing into Raygun, right. you know, a lot of the time it's things where you just kind of go, oh, that was a configuration that as a developer, mm-hmm. I, I didn't think could exist, but actually here's an example. And so it's connecting that code to customer and your development team through to real users and their experiences, which to your point, builds real empathy. And the best software teams care a lot about how their customers are experiencing their software. Right. It's kind of the feedback from the app, but it's also kind of this meta feedback as we do better, we tend to get less of this negative input back from our customer, which really does reflect empathy. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think to your point earlier about CICD pipelines, like we've done an amazing amount of work as an industry to automate getting to prod really fast. But if you really want to go super fast, you need to close that loop with real-time feedback from prod back to the dev team. And that allows them to do things like fail forward and just do, you know, really leverage that investment in CICD and, and it can turn into a real superpower. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to encourage you folks, yeah, set up your CICD, but then go sign up for Raygun. They'll actually give you a free trial and you can get it at raygun.com. Yeah, I mean, to me, that makes perfect sense. If you see, I mean, that's software, right? Hey, this looks cool. I want to do this and throw this into my project, but I got to tweak it. And so there's a chance to learn something and to just avoid having to reinvent the wheel, you know, for lack of a better term. But it's interesting that you mentioned Astro because I'm in the middle of, of using doing a project using Astro and view. And so I've been uh, looking at it. And it's the idea of Astro is that you're, you want to ship to the browser as little JavaScript as possible. And so it's basically a static an SS, SSG static site generator, right, where you can pull, you can pull from a remote repository, you can pull from a local data store, or whatever. But then as you stated, you can use view a view component, or you can throw in a react component, or you can throw in a svelte component, uh, I forget what all the options are. And so like, for instance, if you have a, you know, the site they use the very simplified example, that's pretty common is you have, you know, some static HTML, but you want to throw in a counter, you know, or something that somebody can click on to do something, whether it's increment a counter, you know, that's a sort of a contrived example, but some sort of interoperability, then you just can include, build your view component, put it in a specific directory, it includes it, and then only ships what's needed for that specific component in order. So the idea is that you're not downloading the entire framework, 
right? It handles a lot of that for you. And I think it transpiles it to, to JavaScript, if I remember. But in the end, you're shipping the minimal amount of JavaScript that you need, which makes your site one, you've got the, the static, the server side rendering, which gives you, you know, good SEO and, and so on, and your interactivity at the same time using the tool that you want to use. So yeah, it's it's really, really neat. I've really enjoyed working with it. Well, what does that workflow look like? Say you want to use a view component. Are you just kind of importing that into your own Svelte file and it, it handles the rest? Is there... Yeah, so you you have to... I haven't actually done this yet. I've just been working on the server-side rendering thing. But you basically just have to place your component in a specific... It's under a specific directory structure and it handles all the importing oh, nice. uh, for you. And then some of the other things you can do... This is views on view, not views on Astro, by the way, but since yeah. we're there... <laughs> Right. So then it had, you can do things like, you know, what people have been asking for that you can do with view templates that you can't do in straight HTML is HTML includes, right? Where if you have a portion of your HTML that's generic across the board, you can have a, they use .astro files. Mm-hmm. And then you could have just a header component in a .astro file that's nothing but HTML. And then import that, import that into parent components, just like you do in Vue or React or, you know, any other JavaScript framework. So it gives you some other uh, tools as well like that. But, uh, yeah, so it supports, let's see, React, Preact, Svelte, Vue, SolidJS, AlpineJS, and Lit. And then you create your component. You can, you import it in in front matter, you know, your three dashes at the top. Okay. Right. And then you import it there and then it becomes available within your Astro file. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of that. Just creating like a big fan of, for example, headless UI by the Tailwind CSS team. Oh, yes. Just get it, you know, these renderless components, you just, uh, it's like, I need a drop down menu. I need this modal, I, I need some sort of JavaScript logic, but it's every site has it, why do I have to rewrite it? And so just being able to kind of pull this highly configurable component into my file or into my project uh, is is wonderful yeah and to be fair like most of the time i don't if the configuration is easy i i don't necessarily care what language it's in so it's yeah i i I like that you know just trying to create as open and shareable components as possible yeah that's been sort of the thing and i talk about yeah uh in my career in web development from back in the late 90s when I first started developing sites when it was only ASP as a scripting language and then PHP came around and then getting into web development with Drupal. So a lot of PHP with PHP template on the front end and caching nightmares and so on. How you watch the pendulum swing. So you've got, you know, you start out straight static, HTML, CSS, JavaScript is a pain in the rear to use. And then jQuery comes along and sort of consolidates a lot of the JavaScript functionality and then then you get into uh, angular you know the probably I, I think it's the first javascript framework like that i i could be wrong and i saw that coming into the drupal world and being integrated with drupal so i started learning angular so now you're going to spas right and that's the rage and and it's not decoupled and then i started seeing you know the mean stack or the emmy asterisk stack you know mongo express node and uh, then, you know, React or Vue or Angular. Mean was, it was Mongular Express, Angular Note, right? And then you can start doing review. And then I started working with a platform called Form.io, which did form rendering through JavaScript, 
templates, and then you could add your own. So they went to SPAs, and then you start running into SEO problems and the bots not being able to index pure JavaScript on the front end because you only load the JavaScript and the JavaScript has to hydrate. So then you start coming up with server-side rendering like Nuxt and Next, and and you got Spelt Kit, which came along later, right? And then you start, so you got that. And so now you can do server-side stuff and then just populate what you need on the, on the front end. And then you start getting into stuff like Astro, which is a little late to the game. You had, you know, static site renders, you know, Jekyll, probably one of the more, more well-known ones, you know, that you could integrate pretty easily on GitHub to handle that. But then you want to have some interactivity. So now you start to get stuff like Astro. Another one that I've looked at, and we've had somebody on, the, on here before, is Isles. ILES uh, that's specific to view. It's like Astro, but it's specific to view where you can server-side rendering and then just add in the view components for your dynamic. Uh, oh, that's cool. Any dynamic features that you want on your front end. Same idea where you're, you, you, you're the islands architecture, you know, where you have, here's all your static HTML. I'm going to drop a little bit of you in here and here and here on the page instead of the whole page with the whole framework type stuff, right? And I know that Evan came up with Petite View, which is sort of a copy of AlpineJS where, you know, you can have your server-side rendered and drop in view here and there to do like a drop-down or a form or something like that. So, yeah, it's just sort of interesting to watch the pendulum swing back and forth as to how much of your site is HTML and how much of your site is JavaScript and, you know, everything that goes along with JavaScript. I've been seeing some posts recently on Hacker News, I know, talking... I saw one... It was interesting. I saw one about how SPAs are pretty much dead and everybody's going away with them. And then pretty soon, a week later, you see another post about why SPAs are not dead and they're still important. <laughs> you know, everybody's got their opinions, which is great. And then in between, you know, one of my favorite tools that I like to talk about, and I've talked to the creator a couple of times, is, is something like Inertia JS. I don't know if you've ever played with Inertia. It's a favorite of mine where you can mix and match your back end and front end. So his idea is that, you know, you're recreating a monolith. So, you know, think of WordPress, think of Drupal, think of maybe something like Django or some of the other frameworks where everything, you know, if you wanted a site, you had to use everything in this one whole toolkit, you know, MySQL on the back end with PHP for your language, uh, and then like a PHP template, or even uh, I forgot the new templating language that Drupal's using with eight, that'll come to me later, I'm sure. But everything was within there. And then you went to the mean stack where you can plug and play you know, with your front end framework, with a back end using Express to generate your REST APIs, right? And then Inertia is really cool because, okay, you want to build a monolith, but you're doing it. You can choose what your pieces are in your monolith, where you could use Ruby on the back end or Node or PHP with Laravel. And then there's a little library in between that you say, okay, render this to Inertia, and then it passes to your front end component, all the data to your front end component as a prop, and run from there, you can do whatever the heck you want with it. Oh, interesting. So, so you're not doing like a REST API call. It's just, I'm looking at the site now, you're just, you're just importing it, it looks like. Right. And so, for instance, in, in my case, I have an app that I've built. It's a calendar-based app for doing some scheduling for things. And in your use, so if I'm using Laravel and uh, MySQL on the back end, which Laravel is a very, 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 very popular PHP framework. Yep. And I use it day to day on my, my day job. And then in your controller, uh, wherever you're doing it from your back end, whether it's Ruby or Laravel, you just say, okay, render this as you use inertia render and inertia does the 
takes all your data that you've passed to it and then passes it up through the browser to props. And then on the front end, what it does is it, you know, with your standard browser operation, when you make a post request, you send everything, you completely load the whole page. And that was sort of the whole point with a lot of jQuery and JavaScript is that you don't want to have to reload the entire page and you want to be quick. And so it stops that, passes everything to the back end, gets the back end data, and then through the same inertial array, passes it back to the front end. So you can just, from a front end standpoint, you can just update the specific pieces of data or parts of the page that you want to update without doing a whole browser reload. So anyway, that's my long rambling on <laughs> just the you know the changes that I've observed over the years and yeah. and how how stuff like Astro and other things fit in. One thing you you didn't mention that, that I'm a big fan of is uh Jamstack. Sure. I, I don't even know what that stands for honestly, but uh, JavaScript APIs and markup was the initial was the initial acronym where Jamstack comes from. And yeah that's and that's sort of it's uh, like, what's the phrase I'm looking for? It's a paradigm, I guess, and an abstract where it's uh, not an abstract, a term. Yeah, it's sort of a big thing. And even Jamstack has changed now between what it started out and how it is now. Yeah, it's just, I personally find it very fun to try and build like dynamic and interesting, fully static or server-side rendered sites, you know, that you can freely host on, you know, Netlify or Vercel. Just try and build these really neat, projects without without a backend is pretty cool with like serverless functions you can even have authentication you can have comment systems you can you can use like a dynamic url pattern to load in all sorts of neat data from third-party apis all with just like view or or nux nux is tends to be my go-to for those applications with yeah the, the key being just like you don't have to pay for a backend <laughs> which is fun yeah, you could. You don't have to pay. You can use, you know, what markup files or mark. Excuse me, mark down files, not up. Uh, yeah. Or my like my blog uses uh, comments called v v v vishu v s s u e, and it's just a creative way of turning GitHub issues into. Oh. Co- yeah. So so my comments are fully powered by GitHub. I've seen that. I haven't actually interacted with that, but I've, I've read about yeah. that somewhere before. So you get all sort, all of it, you know, and it's on a stat- statically generated site, or yeah, I guess possibly server side rendered. I'm not actually sure what ViewPress is doing under the hood. But again, like now I have this awesome commenting system with like authentication, GitHub auth, uh, with likes and any th- replies, all of that. And I, I don't have to spend any money on a backend. How hard is that to set up in terms of getting the authentication? Does Upress handle a lot of that out of the box for you? Or is there a lot of manual work yeah, involved well, in that? Pretty much there's like a five line. There, you, you just have a little plugin. There's a plugin option in the Viewpress config. And I uh, just, you know, download the plugin. And there's a little bit of configuration with like uh, GitHub environment variables and then you have this reusable component. You can put in any of your markdown files. So very easy. I don't have to worry about any of it, really. Oh, that's always good when you don't have to worry about stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I haven't tried comments last in a while. I think on my own blog I have that I haven't written on in a couple of years. Uh, I was using, uh, oh my goodness, I can't think what it is now. A real common commenting system you plug in with JavaScript. Discuss. Thank you. Yep. Yep. Discuss. I was using that just because it was sort of easy. Yeah, easy, but and you could also there is a discuss plugin for ViewPress. It's just kind of bulky 
Yes, uh, very heavy. Yeah, heavy and hard to customize and kind of looks ugly. <laughs> so this v- VSSUE, the shoe is uh, very customizable with the UI. And So does that require that the, the ViewPress site itself is in the same repo? Or can you like do a separate repo for the um, issues, for common issues? It, it's currently in the same repo. That's a good question. I, I, I'm not entirely sure. Mm, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's been some seriously good rambling. Love to ramble when I can. Although I might put some people to sleep, but uh, that's okay. Just think of it as a dual purpose podcast where it can keep you interested and put you to sleep all in one episode. So with that, we will move on to picks. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Picks are things that we are interested in that could be tech-related, could not be tech-related, could be funny, could be serious. We'll let Cody go first. What do you got for us, Cody? Oh, sure. So my pick today, it's actually came from a YouTube video I just watched yesterday. It's called, let's see, it's called Outliers. Sorry, I'm pulling it up right here. Outliers, why some people succeed and some don't. It's by uh, Malcolm Gladwell. He wrote the book called Outliers. It's about an hour talk. It was like a Microsoft research conference. And one of the key points he talks about is, well, he gives the example, uh, if you're, what is it? Professional hockey players. Like if you look at the roster of professional sports teams, the majority of players' birthdays are within the months uh, January, February, and March. And he actually said, if you're born within these months, you have something like an 11% higher chance of going professional. Dang, I knew I should have been a professional athlete. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just missed the mark. I'm in April. But it was it was actually really interesting because he, he just goes in to say how people born at the beginning of the year, you know, they they're we go like yearly systems, whether it's school or sports, uh, other other things as well, I'm sure. But a person born in January and who's, say, seven years old versus a person born in November who's also seven years old has so many more months of development that that's actually huge at, at such young at such a young age, both mental and physical. And I, I just thought that was a really interesting you know, idea, an interesting thing to look into is how, you know, some of our, a lot of our systems are built around something that doesn't work. Um, and he goes on to say how it, it'd be a lot more effective if we, you know, broke these systems up into smaller pieces. We could have sports teams rather than yearly based off of age, it's like sections of months for, for these younger kids, or you could do the same with school or, or whatever. So in terms of the additional months, you mean, for instance, the way that we cut off when you, what grade you're in based on about this anymore, it's pretty much the start of the school year, I think, right? So someone in January, they're going to have eight months, whereas somebody who's, you know, born in July, say, for instance, you have 
that's a six month time period over the span of your life. It's interesting. It's I, I have a hard time seeing how that few months of difference earlier in your life really has an impact. I'd be yeah. curious to see how he fleshes that out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, he just looks at the numbers. That was really the biggest thing. <laughs> uh, mm. You know, I, mean, yeah, I know my daughter was my my daughter's birthday. My oldest child is August 29th. And so, you know, that's at the time she was born that made the cutoff, you know, September 1st, I think was the cutoff. And so if she had stayed in that, she would have always been the youngest person in her class. So we held her back a year, you know, in back in pre-K, you know, so we just started her in kindergarten a year, a year later. And I think it, it definitely paid benefits, uh, you know, being the oldest and having some development time and so on. What's interesting is when I this will date me a bit, but when I was first getting into school in the early 70s, the deadline was around November 15th, interestingly enough. And so I was, you know, my birthday is in February, which is why I should have been a professional athlete. And still can. Yeah, no. <laughs> and so I had friends in my class, uh, a good buddy of mine, actually, that I still know from my school days. He was born in October, uh, October, mid October sometime. And so he was in my class. And if he went by, uh, the way things are broken up now, he would have been a year behind me. So, you know, the, that as time's gone on, they've slowly moved that cutoff date going forward. And this is here in the U.S. I'm not sure how it happens in Europe or in other places. Sure. But yeah. But I know, for instance, when uh, my daughter was playing competitive volleyball going through middle school and high school, which is very, it's crazy how competitive that is, you know, anymore. And they used to give uh, up through probably her when she got into high school, they would give waivers for people that were born in like July or August so that they didn't have to be bumped up to the next age group level. And then they cut that off. And so my daughter's like two days, you know, outside of the of the age group cut off. And so now she's got to be she's the youngest and less physically and athletically developed. And so that puts her way down the ladder and they just refuse to budge. And it was unfortunate, but yeah, that's a lot of time those age cutoffs can have significant impacts. What's interesting in listening to you talk about date of birth is also birth order. Have you ever you ever read or heard anything about birth order and the impacts that has? Uh, based off of like order of siblings? Yes. Older? No, but I have a good friend who's a middle child and he has a lot to say about that. Sure. Well, there's a psychologist, uh, the guy who that I know of that first sort of popularized this really a lot. His name's Kevin Lehman, and he's a child psychologist, lives down in Arizona. And he wrote a book called The Birth Order Book. And then he wrote a second book that's an updated version, uh, Birth Order Book 2 or something like that. But he goes through and details everything he's seen over the years and how the difference is what's an oldest child, what's a middle child, what's a youngest child. In fact, for instance, how distance between siblings can have an impact. So, for instance, if you have a youngest child that is more than five years, I think, younger than the next oldest sibling, they basically have oldest child characteristics. And then he talks about how when it comes to married, being married, you know, your partner uh, you generally want like a first with a middle or a, a youngest or something like that. If you get the case like myself and my wife, where you have two oldest, that creates some interesting uh, dynamics or clashes as the case may be. <laughs> but he talks about cases where he could figure out somebody's characteristics. He could figure out what birth order they were based on characteristics that he knows about a person. And he gives some examples. For instance, one time he went on uh, The View and talking to the different hosts, they told him things. They said, okay, you're a first, you're an oldest, you're a youngest, you're so on. 
and it they were just blown away by how he was able to nail things down so along the same lines of what you were talking about birth order at least from my experience in reading the book and observing it can have a significant impact as well on on how you grew up and what characteristics you have i yeah i i believe it 100 percent, and that's kind of it, it's it's interesting because we we have scientists researching this and writing books and studying it but the like the structures around us aren't necessarily changing to reflect it. Right. And that that's kind of what Malcolm Gladwell was going into is how kind of obsessed uh, U.S. culture is with, with sports. And I forget exactly the, the statistic he was talking about, but he was just blown away that we care so much about sports, but we're actually losing so many potential great sportsmen due to this this system you know because we we we've created this yearly sports cycle uh we're basically forgetting about the second half of of potential professionals and where it would be like you know economic like beneficial like there's so many benefits to it but we we just haven't we haven't caught on cool it was a great great video highly recommend it in fact i'm, I'm kind of going down the rabbit hole today and just turns out this guy's given a lot of talks. He's written a lot of books. So I, I look forward to hearing more from him. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I certainly know the name, uh, Malcolm Gladwell. I've heard it in various places, but I've never really read or seen much of his content. But yeah, it definitely sounds interesting. Yeah. But any more picks or is that it? No, one is fine. There's no, I, there's no minimum. <laughs> you must have three picks or we erase the whole show. No. I'm, I'm happy to talk about, as, you know. <laughs> Many, many things, but... Uh, sure. Okay. Yeah, we will uh, get the link from you of that, and we'll put that in the show notes so that people can enjoy the talk. Sure. As well. And so, moving on to my picks, uh, as always, I provide some of the most high-quality and best dad jokes out there, as posted every day on Twitter. Uh, Wonder95 is my Twitter, if you want a dad joke of the day. So, in seriousness, my first job when I got out of college was working at a, as a bank. Excuse me, not as a bank, at a bank. Although if you talk to my kids, sometimes I do function as a bank, but that's a different story. So one day I was I was working in a bank and a guy walked in, pulled out a gun and pointed at me and screamed, give me all your money or your geographies. I was, what? He says, don't you mean history? He says, don't change the subject on me. So he was an interesting guy. In all seriousness, I did get robbed one time and it was... Quite interesting. The guy just threatened me and said, give me your money or I'll, don't make me use this gun. I said, okay, here you go. <laughs> so, and I learned, you know, some of my favorite sets of jokes are the cow jokes. Uh, you know, there's quite a list of them. Like, what do you call a cow with no legs? Anybody? Ground beef. Ground beef. Very good. Very good. What do you call a cow with two legs? Lean beef or Eileen, right? And then uh, some new ones I learned. What do you call a cow with one leg? Steak. <laughs> right? Steak. <laughs> And then uh, Austin Gill, uh, who's a dev here, lives here in Portland. He used to be a, one of the panelists here, messaged me one and said, uh, what do you call a cow with three legs? It's a tri-tip. Oh, no. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, my wife has always been a big cat person. We've had numerous cats around. I don't have any right at the moment. But after being around uh, cats for so long, I, I learned that I had actually developed cat-like reflexes but all i mean by that is i have an irresistible urge to curl up and nap on any freshly made bed thank you thank you and then finally going down the uh, morbid route uh, did you know 
that after you die, the part of your body to stop working the last are your pupils and your eye. You know why? Because they die late. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. The audience. Thank you. Thank you so much. They really like those jokes. So, okay. With that, we will wrap things up for this exciting episode of Views on View and Astro and Server-Side Generation and all the other topics we rambled on today. Thank you. Thank you, Cody, for coming on and making me jealous as he, as I see Hawaii in the video. <laughs> At least beyond the walls, I'm imagining Hawaii. Yeah. Looking feel at your pain right now. Beautiful oh. blue sky day. First. Yeah, if I were to look at the ocean from here, it would be freezing cold and everybody wearing dry suits because it's so cold. Full but of very big fish. Very big fish, yes. So, all right. Well, thank you. And we will talk at you next time on Views on View. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Appreciate you having me on here. Seriously, it's been a wonderful time. And uh, I look forward to your next person, Daniel Rowe. He's always a good guy to listen to. So. Oh, yeah. He'll be on coming up. He's uh, part two of our talk on Nuxt 3. So that'll be good for yeah. sure. So adios, everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.